0: And welcome to Mixed Feelings, a podcast about news, politics, and pop culture on the Relay FM network. I'm Quinn Rose, and I'm here as always with my co host, Jillian Parker.
1: Hi, everyone. Hi, Quinn. Hey, Jillian. How are you doing? I'm um, hanging in there. It's still getting used to 12 hour work days, but it's okay. We're still thriving. How are you?
0: I'm good. I've been home for a couple hours, um, which mm-hmm. is fun, except for I left California yesterday in the morning, and so it's been a long time.
1: How's the how's the jet lag?
0: It's not even jet lag, it's just being tired, because I only slept for five hours, because I was on airplane throughout the entire night.
1: Yay! Ugh, oh, gotta love those red eyes.
0: No, it was a bad experience.
1: Oh, I'm sorry. But
0: I'm finally home. I'm here to record, which is, you know, I would say fun. It is fun. It's fun to talk to you. Um, Everything is always horrible, which is less fun, but it is what it is.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it is what it is, but at least we're having a better week than Theresa May. Um, So Theresa May, the Prime Minister of the United Kingdom, just announced, well, she announced like a... a, a I was going to say pop election, but that's not what it's called. Snap election.
0: Um, (laughs) Yes. Snap, crackle, and pop election. (laughs)
1: Because I was thinking like a pop quiz, but that's not how that works. Um, So she called for a unexpected election. um, And her whole point was before they start going over into details of the Brexit, um, Brexit arrangements, she wanted a more solid majority um, in parliament And so she was like, oh, well, I'm doing really well, so I should probably just hold another election and then we'll get more seats um, and then that'll make the Brexit negotiations a lot smoother because there will be more people on my side, blah, blah, blah. So she ends up doing this. um, And plot twist, she actually ends up losing, I think she ends up losing a few seats.
0: Yeah, she lost a bunch of seats.
1: (laughs) So everyone expected her to do well, but they did not expect her... um, She was basically shown up by the Labour Party, Um, so that sort of diminished her authority, I guess, in Parliament, like people's view of her as this strong, you know, leader who's uniting everybody. Um, So this whole plan to make herself appear stronger actually just failed and crashed and burned.
0: Yeah, her whole tagline is strong and stable, and that did not work out well for her. But you know what it was? Youth voter turnout, they had a 72% participation rate from, I believe it was 18 to 24-year-olds, which is huge.
1: Wow, people are really into their civic duty now.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, after Brexit and after the U.S. presidential election, people are really looking around and going, oh my god, I actually need to vote because things aren't just going to happen um and so people are actually turning out to vote now which is cool a little bit too late y'all but it's cool um and so that's what pushed us to where we are now um it was interesting because i was in california while this was happening and so we were eight hours behind Mm -hmm. and i was there with um mike who is from london And he was just like, I don't even know what's happening. He's like, there is a very real possibility that we're going to end up with a prime minister that no one even was considering yesterday. Like, this is totally out there right now, and we don't even know. Um, Now, currently, Theresa May is still prime minister. She's still hanging on to that. But she's a lot less secure than she was before. And she did this to her own self.
1: Yeah, like, she could have completely avoided this by just not asking for another election um she actually in order to defend her position uh, i think she has to actually form a coalition with the um, the dup which is the uh oh i wish it was just pronounced dup
0: and the gop can be gop
1: (laughs) (laughs) gop i was a fan of gop um yeah the democratic unionist party
0: yeah which is a really far right party like really far-right party.
1: Yeah, they're v-conservative.
0: I mean, I guess I shouldn't emphasize it that much because we have Nazis now again, um, but they're still pretty far out there.
1: Ugh, you hate to see that.
0: I really do. So that's not great um, with this. I don't know how this works. Also, can you explain this to me, how this alliance situation works in Parliament? What are they doing?
1: Okay, so... The only reason I sort of vaguely know what's going on is because I watched this really dramatic Danish TV show um, where it's all about parliament and, you know, trying to form coalitions and teams. So basically, um, in a lot of European countries, okay, well, (laughs) in the UK and in Denmark, apparently, um, unlike the United States, there aren't two majority parties. So it's not like they have like the Republicans versus the Democrats there are like a lot more individual parties that have much more of a minority um, you know, share. And so in order for anything to get done, people use, in order for people to get, or teams, teams, um, in order to get the majority of votes and sort of like plan what you want and push the agenda that you wanna push, you have to team up with other smaller parties so that you can get more seats in Congress, or I mean, sorry, um, in Parliament. So that basically what happens is so say there's like the labor party the um uh, the tories the dup and there are a bunch of other parties um and so not any one of them is like strong enough or is big enough to like get like the full majority so they have to team up with other smaller parties so that they can push their agenda and hopefully win more seats in the um in the election yikes yeah so it's a lot more convoluted um then say like democrats versus republicans there's obviously a lot more um strategy behind it because i think you do at least (laughs) in the danish tv show i watch it's like very dramatic because it's like people writing letters to each other and like holding secret meetings and being like uh we'll support you if you give us this this and this and like stuff like that
0: i'd like to say that's probably dramatized but i don't know also since when do you watch danish tv shows
1: oh we have to in my danish class
0: that's adorable
1: Yeah, it's really cute. I don't really understand what's going on, though, so thank God for English subtitles. Except that doesn't really teach us anything. (laughs) But whatever.
0: Also, didn't the British pound fall really far as this happened?
1: Oh my god, do not even get me started on the economics of this. So, basically, all of this drama started, you know, when Brexit was first announced, um, and the pound fell, like so dramatically because people were like, oh my God, I can't believe they're actually gonna leave the union. Like I have no more faith in the UK, blah, blah, blah. And so the pound sterling um, fell or depreciated relative to all of the other currencies. Um, and But basically what happened is after about two weeks or so, um, the pound started to like normalize again and things were looking pretty stable, um, which is, I guess, um, which I guess like came about because uh, David Cameron resigned right away and then Theresa May um, became prime minister and she, you know, presented this very like calm, steady force. Um, and so people became more confident in the UK. And so the sterling was, you know, like was normalizing again, not, not to its higher, not to its previous high levels, but you know, at, a, at around a reasonable, reasonable um, rate. But then you know, with all of this news coming about, it's just it's just been fluctuating a lot these past few months, especially with all of the geopolitics going on, um, and yeah. So a lot of economists were debating whether or not this hung parliament, which is what it's called when no party has the full ma- has a uh, majority in parliament. So they this hung parliament, um, people can't tell if it's actually good or bad for for the British pound, and that's because. Um, basically, if, so people who say that the pound is going to increase think that Theresa May is going to realize her mistakes and see that, oh, wow, um, I guess I'm not as popular as I thought, and maybe people don't want a hard Brexit, and so maybe I'll aim for an agenda that pushes more of a soft Brexit, um, and so that would increase the value of the pound because more people would put their faith in the UK. Uh, considering that they would not leave the European, or they would technically leave the European Union, but there there would be trade deals, there would be a single customs kind of thing, so a lot more, a lot more um, similar to what the EU is now, as opposed to people who think that the pound is going to decrease in value because. Um, Because Theresa May will be like, no, I don't really care. And which she kind of did because she didn't really address the fact. She didn't address the results of the election. She kind of just like let it go um, and didn't really say anything about it. And so that means people so people now think that she's going to push for a hard Brexit no matter what, which is going to cause um, a loss of faith in the British currency. So some people are saying that the Hung Parliament is good because it's not necessarily keeping um, it's not necessarily gonna make the pounds like go really really high or really, really low for now. It's kind of staying at that like uh, really uncomfortable limbo, but it keeps obviously fluctuating back and forth. So um, until you know we get more of a solid plan of what's ha- a solid idea of what's going on in British politics, we don't really have, Uh, A super accurate prediction of the value of the sterling.
0: This is all you've been talking about for the past week, isn't it?
1: Yep. Yep, it is. I'll
0: admit that while I was listening to that, I was just like, hmm. So does this mean that I'm going to save money or lose money?
1: (laughs) (laughs) So basically what you should be hoping for. um, Honestly, you should be hoping for just like things to stay calm, but also kind of in limbo, because honestly, I think the uncertainty might be beneficial while you're there, because it's not going to, the pound isn't going to necessarily like depreciate so much or appreciate so much. Um, if you wanted to look at this from a strictly personal economic perspective, you would hope that the pound decreases so that, you know, you get more for your money. But then of course, that means in the long run that, oh, um, the UK is probably going to have, the UK is probably going to experience a hard Brexit and then there's going to be more rules and like trade regulations within the EU and outside the EU and just a lot of drama. So I think that you should be hoping for, um, for just some limbo, which is something that I never say because I'm usually a very black and white definitive kind of person. But I think for, for now, this limbo isn't necessarily the worst thing to happen.
0: Yeah. And I will choose, you know, the geopolitical state of the world over my personal finances. Um, But anyway, it is this. This is all very confusing to me because this kind of thing doesn't happen in the US. You don't have an election. And at the end, you're like, I don't know what happened. Well, I mean, we do. But like, we know what happened. We just don't believe it. Um, And so it's weird to have a result that is confusing in what it is to understand it um, and how there are so many more parties and so many different ways that like you can win the election and then how their prime minister is just chosen from someone in parliament as opposed to someone that people actually vote for and then all of a sudden you have a prime minister and you're like where did this person come from i don't know so uh i am not british there's a lot of stuff going on there and i i follow british politics with increasing regularity and so I am extremely interested to see where all the chips fall in this situation, um, and see if it settles, when it settles, um, and what the government actually looks like because it could still shift. We don't know.
1: Yeah, I think I think you're absolutely right. Um, there are a lot more nuances in. Uh, British government than, say, like, the United States, especially, like, since she was just like, oh, hey, let's have another election, like, why can't we do that, (laughs) you know, like, yeah, honestly,
0: can we do that this week, please?
1: (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, that's what's going on in the UK right now, um, Theresa May, a lot of volatility with the uncertainty of the politics of, um, the UK as reflected in the fluctuating value of the British pound, um, as well as this awful incident that hit London this week. Unfortunately, there was a massive fire um, in a London high rise, which left at least 12 people dead and at least 74 people injured. Um, the London Fire Brigade had to you know, dispatch at least 40 fire engines. And it was just, there were 200 firefighters at the scene in an effort to you know, battle the fire in this you know building that was 24 stories high in west london so that's just like another awful thing you know to add to the the list of horrible things that the uk has unfortunately been experiencing the past few months
0: yeah there's a lot going on in london in the uk in general um and as far as we know right now there's no reports of foul play in regard to this fire this is like a fire that happens Um, in cities sometimes which doesn't make it any less tragic but uh, at least it's not a person throwing bombs I can't believe I have to be grateful for that
1: (laughs) yeah I think a lot of people are thinking that it's structural that it was more of a structural thing considering the building kind of leaned to one side and it took actually 30 minutes after the fire started for the alarms to go off so clearly there's been some construction issues with that
0: Yeah, exactly. London is an old city. There's a lot of buildings in there that I'm sure are not particularly fire safe. So take care of yourselves and be safe out there.
1: Yeah, we're definitely keeping um, the UK in our thoughts and prayers right now.
0: Speaking of confusing and terrible politics, there's an investigation going on um, into the team that got us our president and also the president. (laughs) So this is the whole investigation into whether or not Trump's team colluded with Russia before the election. Um, Also, if I guess technically also investigating, you know, did Russia influence the election slash try to influence the election? Um, And so we've had Comey testify so far, Sessions testified recently, and also when Sessions was testifying, just said, I don't know, and I don't recall a lot. And everyone was like, you need to get your life together. You sound so suspicious when you're just saying, I don't recall, whatever. But the big break on this story today, um, Wednesday, as we're recording this, was that Trump is officially under investigation for possible obstruction of justice um, in response to him firing James Comey, the once director of the fbi
1: i had always thought that he was under investigation um, but apparently it was just his team that was under really close investigation and now they have actually shifted their attention more to focus on trump um so that's that's interesting
0: well yeah because now there's multiple things going on because before it was like okay like trump and his team as like this group of people and now it's like but also now you're obstructing justice which is another charge or like they're, that's what they're investigating for, and of course, investigations into presidents are going to take years and possibly never do anything. but here we are at the very beginning of his term it's it's happening
1: yeah, I just think it's interesting that you know it just it seems to me like this is just not being handled the most efficient way. Um, Just from like a logistics point of view, like I feel like all of this is just a very he said, she said sort of thing, Um, like Comey testified and then Sessions was like, "Eh, Comey was right about some things, but he was wrong about this. And also we never colluded with Russia. There was no third meeting, blah, blah, blah. And then also Sessions was like, oh, yeah, like the New York Times is wrong about this, this and this or they had this one article that did not accurately um, portray a situation. Um, And so then the New York Times had to release something saying that they were sorry that they messed up. So it's just, all of it is just very he said, she said. And I think a lot of people are just drawing conclusions from whatever limited information that they have. And I will agree with you, Quinn, definitely, that it was sort of annoying when Sessions was literally just like, oh, I don't know, no comment, I can't remember. Um, But honestly, like when you're on when you're testifying and when you're so paranoid about like being accused of perjury, like I think saying, I don't know, is much better than being like, oh, well this definitely happened only to hear like, I don't know, say a few weeks later that, oh, actually no, that was wrong because you know, the human mind, the human memory I think is just very fickle in that way. And I don't think we ever remember things completely accurately.
0: I totally agree with you there. The human memory is awful in most cases and it is true that like you want to cover your base as much as possible but it's also like come on sessions give me the dirt give it to me
1: yeah retweet it's like come on sessions like let's let's ignore all these politicians it's just me and you getting our nails done like gossiping like give me the real scoop on what happened
0: oh my god I just had a mental image of you getting a manicure with Jeff Sessions and it was pretty horrifying (laughs)
1: Oh, my God. He's definitely a French manicure kind of person.
0: I'm not going to think about that too much. You know, if I had a wish, (laughs) um, it would be that when I wake up in the morning, Oh, this would ruin our podcast for this week, but you know what? It'd be worth it. That when I wake up in the morning, um, everyone has been arrested.
1: (laughs) Oh, yikes. Yeah, that would not be be too great for us. Um, I mean, well, because here's the thing
0: here's the thing. We've got Trump. Bad. Next person, Pence. Also bad. Next person, Ryan. Also bad. And then the fourth person is someone who I do not know at all, but is also a Republican in Congress and I probably don't like him. Probably. (laughs) But I would settle for getting, taking those three down, you know?
1: Okay, so here's, I think I've finally developed an opinion on this. Yes, Trump is awful, but like, I don't, I just think that he's approaching, like, politics from more of a business perspective and just, like, thinking about P&Ls as opposed to, you know, like, public reputation and, you know, upholding the integrity of the office and things like that. And so he's so out of his element that he's kind of just, like, doing random things, tweeting random things, and just hoping that You know, he doesn't get arrested, which is probably not the best technique. And I would not recommend going about, you know, being president that way. But whatever, to each his own. Um, I don't necessarily think that Trump is like this evil genius who's like planning to take down the world, you know?
0: Yeah, I definitely don't think he's an evil genius. I, I don't even think Trump is evil at all. I think he is a terrible, terrible person. I think he is a monstrously incompetent person and president. Um can you be an incompetent person? I think he is. But I don't think he's evil.
1: Yeah, I think to be I think to be considered evil, you have to be somewhat intelligent and I don't think Trump has met those qualifications.
0: There was a thing just the other day where um Trump said something um connected to one of these uh trials and testimonies and um, the Republicans were like, he just, he doesn't know not to say that he's new. And I was like, what if a doctor walked into the surgery room and was like, sir, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm new. That would not be an excuse. You were on the job, man.
1: That's literally like me every day at college when people are like, you can't do that. And I'm just like, oh, I don't know. I'm a transfer student. And they were like, Jillian, you've been here for over a year. And I'm just like, I'm a transfer student. <laughs>
0: You've been here for two years, Jillian. Calm down.
1: Uh, classic. It's always a go-to card.
0: See, for me, I just have to be like, uh, I'm dumb and don't know what's going on.
1: Yeah, but people respect you for that, you know? Like, people are like, ah, at least she knows that she's, you know, not doing the greatest thing right now, you know? Like, there's some dignity and integrity behind that.
0: Oh, dignity. My long-lost friend. <laughs> On a much more somber note, we definitely have to talk about um, the shooting that happened. Um, there was an attack on GOP congressmen um, while they were practicing for a charity baseball game against a team of Democrats. And like, even as we're talking about this today, and like we're talking about these people in the presidential administration that we don't like and that we want to be arrested, and I, would, <laughs> to be very, very clear neither of us has ever advocated violence against any of these people and I would never do that because um although I do definitely want some of them arrested I don't want any of them killed that's a horrible they're human beings but it is also in context of today where this person was someone who campaigned for Bernie Sanders Um he really hated Trump and he hated the GOP and it's really scary to see that extremism come out um in i mean this is not a normal time for politics but this is bringing that far and beyond um and i think that we've seen that a few times from the other side like on the joe cox's murder last year but for me this is me like facing this on ostensibly my side um and it's Probably bad that I'm even referring to us as sides, but that's where we're at right now. And it is scary to think about of any people, but in a way, especially people that you view as similar to you in political views. In the case of like me and this man, like if he campaigned for Bernie, we probably have a lot of the same ideas in terms of politics um, and that he can turn to violence and try to kill people and think that that's the solution.
1: This was just so so awful and i just like can't even like i came into work this morning and someone told me about this and i was like wait what do you mean like what do you mean baseball practice like i thought that was some like fancy political term that i didn't know and my uh, my coworker was like no Jillian like literally baseball practice and i was like oh my god um apparently the shooter like went up to somebody before he did this awful thing and was like, Oh, is this the, De- are these the Democrats practicing or the Republicans? And the guy was like, The Republicans. And the student was like, Okay, thanks. And then continued on with, uh, with what his plan was, which is just so, just so scary. And how, how politics, like, can really, you know, divide a country. Like, it's just, it's just so, it's kind of nauseating to a point that people, think that we're so different from each other that they feel the need to do this and take action um, against you know other regular people it just it just also brings up you know a lot of relevant questions that people have been having especially related to gun control I mean I think that's pretty obvious
0: yeah of course with all of these things there was a rush to talk about gun control and you know I do wonder there is a part of me that wonders if there will be action taken for gun control because it was Congress people who were the victims?
1: Um, I don't think that's true. I mean, I don't think that's going to happen. I mean, come on, like, (sighs) Republicans will always, I think, defend guns. um, And politicians have been shot in the past. Presidents have been shot in the past. And, I mean, okay, there was the Brady Bill.
0: Well, here's the thing, though, because I think... I think that you're right, like, I I don't have faith in any meaningful gun control legislation being passed for a long time because of the current political views of the makeup of Congress, but um, I do think that, and I don't don't even really mean this out of malice, like, I think that genuinely when something comes and suddenly affects you, like, not your constituents, not people that you maybe know, um, not stories that you hear on the news, Like you in your face right there, like you being scared of dying, that changes someone and that suddenly makes the issue more real. And I'm not saying I think that there's going to be um, necessarily any change coming from that. And I do think that if it does now, and that's the reason, like that's pretty crappy that they couldn't empathize with people before. But I also totally understand that, that that is human nature and I wouldn't be surprised um, if some of the people who were there are more open to gun control conversations from now on,
1: yeah, definitely. Um, it has to change your, you know, worldview. Maybe even a little. Maybe at least a little bit. Uh, especially going through that, witnessing that, you know, hearing the gun go off and just having your life la- having your life flash before your eyes. Like I think, I think that could really, you know, change a person.
0: This is also a good time, I think, to mentioned that next week we are going to have a different kind of episode so because of I I mean because of me going on vacation let's be real um, we are going to pre-record an episode for next week but because you cannot pre-record a news podcast we're kind of doing a bit of a meta thing and this was planned even before this happened um, but it makes it even more pressing is we're going to be talking about general thoughts, coverage, reflections, um, and looking at the overall arc of time over the past six months or so that this podcast has been around slash, you know, since the election as they happened at the same time. Um, and also talking about questions like this, like, what does it mean that we are putting politically biased words out there in the world? Um, what does it mean that people are listening to us? What is our responsibility with that Lots of interesting questions, um, and hopefully that is a cool conversation for you all to listen to. I am looking forward to talking to you about it, Jillian.
1: Yeah, I'm definitely I'm definitely looking forward to this dialogue. I think it's going to be really a really cool um, conversation to have, and just I don't know. I think it'll sort of be interesting to have to have this episode. Um, And that's kind of like a TLDR of literally all of the episodes before it. So if you ever, I don't know, if someone came in to listen um, to our podcast and didn't want to listen to episodes 1 through 30, they could just listen to 31 and be like, oh, so this is what I missed.
0: Slash, if you've been living under a rock for the past six months, then like, we got you.
1: (laughs) Yeah, we got you covered. No worries. The TLDR by Quinn and Jillian. In other news, our favorite, or at least most commonly used forms of transportation, Uber. Uh, Uber has finally confirmed what many people have been suspecting. Um, the company is going to raise fares, but only for certain types of people. Um, and of course, you know, this thing is called price discrimination. It happens all the time, especially, you know, with with uh, airplane, airplane tickets, um, because business seats are obviously more expensive than... Um, regular economy seats but who really cares you're all going to the same place but you know you can segment the market and um have deals that appeal to certain customers blah 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 et cetera. Et cetera. however what uber wants to do is basically use the data it collects from the customers to uh, make guesstimates about how much they're willing to pay for a ride so for example people traveling to and from really nice neighborhoods will would probably pay more for an Uber than someone, say, someone like a college student traveling, you know, from downtown. So I just think that's really interesting. And yes, it's slightly terrifying, and I'm kind of mad, but only because I didn't think of it first. Like, it sounds like a genius idea to me.
0: Yeah, this whole thing, okay... Like you said, price discrimination is a really standard idea in economics, and it's technically the smartest and most efficient thing to do, but I think in this case, it is also shady as hell.
1: Oh, yeah, definitely. Like, p- if people had a problem with surge pricing, like, th- the <laughs> the backlash, if this actually becomes a super um, prevalent thing, is just, oh my goodness, I can't even begin to imagine. Um I hate surge pricing. Surge pricing is the worst. This is why we should just walk everywhere. Uh, oh my god, I can't even begin to describe my public transportation fiasco this morning, but that's that's another story.
0: My personal background with Uber is I've had a feud with the Uber app from the first moment I downloaded it. Have never actually used it, and also Uber is a trash fire, which we may circle back to, we'll see. Um, and so I've actually only ever used Lyft, but I almost always just use Lyft when I'm traveling so like I was just in California and you know if I need to get home at night I'm not gonna walk by myself in the city like I'm gonna take an Uber home or a Lyft home it's just a standard language um I'm gonna take a Lyft home and so with me like on vacation already spending money and like um often in like nicer areas because you know I'm on vacation like I'm out for the theater or whatever um and then I could totally see me getting like higher pricing because it looks like I can pay more for price discrimination. And I do not like that idea at all.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Um, I just think it's interesting how, like, yes, this idea is absolutely brilliant, but how realistic is it? Like, obviously, if people have to start paying more money to go to the exact same place or exact same distance just because, you know, they're coming from a nicer neighborhood, like that's obviously going to make more people turn to other, other forms of transportation, you know, like Lyft, um, until prices become competitive again, and Uber has to stop, you know, with the price discrimination to that, to such a high extent. Um, so it's it's definitely going to be interesting to follow, at least. Like, I think, I think this is such a cool concept, and I really do, I really am interested in how it plays out in real life.
0: Yeah, I think it's a good point The term in terms of competition, because especially with Lyft, because um, Lyft isn't everywhere that Uber is, but uh, they have very, very similar um, areas and markets. And if people start noticing that Uber is always more expensive than Lyft in certain places, they're just going to stop using Uber until the prices go down. Granted, not everyone, because not everyone has both not everyone's going to check but like if i if i had uber and i opened up the app and it seemed like it was more expensive than i felt like it should be i would definitely go and check lyft and see if there was a difference. if it's oh like oh no it's just like really busy so they're both expensive but if one was markedly higher than the other i would definitely use the cheaper one
1: yeah that situation actually has come up um in the past for me like one time like uber came up i checked uber first and it was like oh um This is, like, $26, and I was like, oh, that's ridiculous, and then I went to Lyft, and it was, like, $11, and I was like, ha, now that is more like it, (laughs) and I went with Lyft.
0: Look at me comparing prices, like a smart consumer.
1: Yeah, except it was really awful the other day, because I was going uptown. Um, And I paid $9 for an Uber. And then I was literally going downtown, (laughs) like the exact same route. And I had to pay $27. Because, you know, supply and demand of the lunch hour rush.
0: Take the subway, Jillian.
1: Okay, no, because I tried taking the subway this morning and I ended up being late to work.
0: We will, okay, we'll teach you how to use the subway another day. Um.
1: No, I actually used the subway correctly. It was just that there were delays. And delays make me so angry. What is the point of saying that a subway is going to come at this time if it's just not going to come at that time? Like, you shouldn't, you have a better chance of just showing up to the subway and praying to God that some sort of train comes and you get on it. Like, oh, this is ridiculous.
0: I mean, that's mostly my strategy.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That's a smart strategy because it probably saves you a lot of time in planning, um, which is what I did to no avail, but whatever.
0: One more note about the price discrimination thing is the whole idea behind this concept is that it um, brings the point of like what consumers are willing to pay closer to the actual price or I guess vice versa. It brings the price closer to what consumers are actually willing to pay. So if you have... Um, someone with more money who's therefore willing to pay more than they're getting a higher price. Like it's like the idea, but it's also people just because they're willing to pay more doesn't mean they want to pay more. Like for example, I I'm just gonna keep using my vacation examples. Sorry y'all. So I was staying in South San Francisco when I was in SF, and I was in the city, and I need to get home, and like it was late. I didn't feel 100% safe. I didn't really know the transportation system and how to get there. I would have paid a lot of money for a lift to take me home where I felt safe and I knew that I would be fine. In no way did I want that. I would have been really upset with it, but I would have done it. And so, from the perspective of price discrimination, they would want to charge me exactly that amount. But that's a terrible system, <laughs> from my perspective as the consumer.
1: It's a terrible system if you're looking at this, you know, from an emotional standpoint and from, like, a, I, I don't know, I guess, oh, fine, a moral standpoint, but I don't know, man, like, your unhappiness with having to pay that much amount of money doesn't cancel out the fact that you are willing to pay that, um, that much money and doesn't cancel and does not contribute or um, impact, like, your emo- negative emotions about this wouldn't impact their P&L, so it's just, it's a... Uh, it's a losing game, my friend.
0: A counterpoint to that, though, is because my lift home that night was kind of pricey, um, not as much as I was, you know, willing to pay hypothetically, but still, you know, a little expensive. So the next night that I was out, I planned to get home before dark and I could just take the train and I felt totally safe um, and I knew the areas that I was walking around in. And so I just wasn't giving Lyft any of my money. <laughs> so there's always the risk of that, too.
1: Yeah, true. It works both ways, people. It works both ways.
0: I also just want to take one minute to talk about the trash pile that is Uber. And so to be clear, all companies are bad, pretty much. Sorry, Julian. like none of them care about you. They are all immoral, but Uber is particularly bad and especially... I never said companies are moral, but just sorry, sorry, go ahead. <laughs> I'm just, I would—I know I'm like offending your secondary religion when I speak out against capitalism, <laughs>
1: <laughs> hey, I'm all like, you can call capitalism moral immoral. I don't really care. um I just think that it should be legal and should be embraced in every society.
0: <laughs> anyway, so Uber has definitely been in headlines over the past few months. um The one that really kicked him off was this blog post by Susan Fowler detailing all of the ways that she was sexually harassed and just treated horribly while she was at Uber. And since then, there have been so many more reports of sexism and stuff going on there. The latest one is one of their board members um, made a sexist joke at a meeting about addressing sexism in the company. Do you just think? Oh my God. Anyway, so he stepped down because people were not pleased about that.
1: Yeah, that's that was clearly he was not thinking this through.
0: Anyway, it's just clear that Uber has a seriously toxic company culture, especially in terms of misogyny from what we've seen so far, and they keep, they're trying to change things, they're trying to bring new people on the board, address these issues, you know, form whatever committees they do, but I really don't have a lot of faith that they're going to make any significant changes. And I don't know if that's going to affect anything in terms of their bottom line because people are still using it. But I would like to think there's some kind of wall that maybe more people are using Lyft now or that maybe their culture is getting so bad that people don't want to work there anymore and that's going to make them suffer until they change something. I say this, I don't really have a lot of faith in it because everything is terrible, but... I just <sighs> now that I'm saying Lyft is like a pure company because I'm sure it is not um and I'm sh- especially in, in ways that it treats its drivers has the same issues that Uber does about um not paying them enough and all these sorts of things but like we got to take a stand somewhere people
1: yeah the CEO actually is taking some time off um to work on his own problems so Uber is not having the greatest PR moments um, right now, and I think that if Uber does want to improve in the eyes of the public, they really need to work on their transparency issues, Uh, you know, as well as their systemic sexist problems that they are dealing with right now.
0: Yeah, I really don't think it's going to be difficult for them to pull out of this if they just... Double down on saying like no, we're changing our culture, everything is going to be fine, um, and then present a good PR standpoint. But I think that if they keep sleep slipping up um, in the same ways that they have been, that they're just going to keep going down and down and down.
1: Yeah, if Uber ever wants to go public, like they really need to get their act together like yesterday.
0: And I mean, for the sake of the female engineers who do still work at Uber, I hope they are changing their culture and that things are getting better, and it is a really convenient ride-sharing service, so, like, good luck. But, uh, I am not optimistic. (laughs) Jillian, guess what happened this week? What, Quinn? The Tonys happened this week. (laughs) You sound so
1: excited. It's adorable.
0: I was so excited, I watched them on West Coast time and live tweeted them on West Coast time, even though no one cared because it wasn't actually live, but I cared. And I read back my tweets the next morning and I was like, oh, yes, I enjoyed this. And so that was all worth it.
1: You read through them and you were like, aha, I still have no regrets.
0: So I'm going to talk about it because this is my podcast and so I can do what I want. Um, so just a brief reflection. uh Dear Evan Hansen led the number of wins. They had 6 wins including musical score, book, actor, featured actress and orchestrations, which are a lot of the really big ones. The only really big one they didn't get was director, which come from away got, which I was really happy about cuz I love Come From Away. I was actually hoping for Come From Away to win score because I just adore the soundtrack from Come From Away as well as featured actress because I really like Jen Kellera, but it is what it is and Dear Evan Hansen is also amazing. Um Great Comet or Natasha Fair and The Great Comet of 1812 only got 2 awards after being nominated for 12, which is pretty low, but I mean also like 2 Tonys, also great, which they got scenic design and lighting design, which are super cool. Um Hello Dolly got 4 and Groundhog Day got none. So sorry Groundhog Day, rough, rough year. It was a pretty strong year. A really cool thing that happened at the Tonys though, which was they had first of all um Plays. This is the first year I ever cared about plays besides The Curious Case of the Dog in the Nighttime, which I still want to see. Anyway, all four of the Best Play nominations were by American authors who were doing their Broadway debut this year. So that's a really big deal for even just the fact that they were all American was a big deal. And then that they're all doing their debuts just made it so much more exciting. And... Then they had the playwrights stand on stage in front of all of these celebrities and the whole theater world and introduce their work and describe what their play was about while clips of it were showing behind them. And it was so cool and it was so inspiring to like a little poor writer like me. Um, One thing that I love about the Tonys is they always take these moments, um, whether the hosts are saying it or oftentimes in when people win awards, they talk directly to, you know, Those theater kids in the audience and they're always encouraging them and saying like I watched the Tony's every year when I was a kid and I dreamed of being up here and now I am and now you can too and I always think that's one of the most beautiful things about this award show in particular and I feel like they added a whole new layer to that this year by having these playwrights who are often not put in the spotlight because like they aren't the face of the shows the actors and the directors are the face of the shows but they put these writers front and center and said like look here we are, here we are presenting our work, and this is also an opportunity for you to succeed in this world.
1: Yeah, it's definitely inspirational. Um, I think it's really cool to, like, even if you're a kid just watching this, to see this and be like, oh, you know, that could be me. Um, So I definitely think that the Tonys is super impactful in that way, and also, I don't know, I think any celebration of art, especially... You know, I I always have had a soft spot for theater and the stage and whatnot. Obviously, I'm not an expert like you, Quinn, but um, I do have such respect and and admiration for all the people involved.
0: I do, of course, have to be critical of things that I love. And so I will take a moment to discuss how extremely white it was, um, which I take particular umbrage with, considering that last year last year they made jokes about how white the oscars were and how diverse the tonys were as if no as if people didn't know that 90 percent of the tonys diversity was because of hamilton because like everyone in hamilton was a person of color and they were all nominated for things and and of course cynthia erivo who is everything um but then this year it was back to being extremely white as white as theater and broadway especially has always been and there were only two winners this year who were people of color and um there were no winners in the acting categories so that's um, pretty bad from last year which is the first year that all four um, major musical acting categories were taken by black people for the first time which again was three hamilton winners and cynthia (laughs) Rebo. but there was some really cool stuff that happened two of the best play nominees were female um A female director won in the play category which is cool it's always great to see female directors being recognized especially since they're so underrepresented in theater and in movies um and uh Dear Evan Hansen which was the biggest winner of the night was produced by a single female producer which it's rare for a show to have just one like head producer as it is and for that to be a woman is like practically unheard of and so that was really cool to see on the other hand Almost every single other person involved in the making of Dear Evan Hansen is male. And so that was less exciting. But there was at least some really cool stuff that happened on that front this year that I was excited to see, especially like, especially like women behind the scenes being recognized for the work that they put in.
1: Oh, um, I took theater lessons once with uh, the person who trained Lindsay Lohan. So that's exciting. That's the extent of my theater experience
0: that is so random. What? Why? I have so many questions. You took theater lessons?
1: Yeah, I used to be really into like theater and music and stuff. And
0: how did you get Lindsay Lohan's theater t-shirt? Why did you even know that?
1: She's like, well, I went to high school with her brother. um, And also like she's from Long Island. uh, And I like was going to like different acting places and stuff when I was a kid. So I don't know, it sort of just happened.
0: I never knew any of this about you. This is a whole whole new side of you, Jillian.
1: Oh, you know, you know, you don't know many things about me, Quinn. It's quite an, I'm quite the, uh, the enigma.
0: Okay, we're going to finish this conversation off the recording then, as I learned everything about Jillian and how she's an international cat burglar. <laughs> <laughs> but seriously though, everyone, thank you for listening today. You can find us on Twitter at Mixed Feelings fm or at relay.fm slash mixedfeelings um, where there is a contact form if you want to send us an email. You can also send us a DM on Twitter if you would like. You can also find us in Apple Podcasts, where it would be super cool if you left us a review. You can find me on Twitter at aspiringrobotfm, FM.
1: And you can find me on Twitter at underscore Jillian Parker. Thanks for uh thanks for talking with me, Quinn. Thanks for talking with me, Jillian. <laughs> Always a pleasure. I'm Jillian Parker. I'm Quinn Rose. And these were our mixed feelings. Transition
0: Transition. 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 I will stop.